This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Julia Baird, welcome to Better Reading. It is a pleasure to be here, Cheryl. I am really super excited about talking to you today because this book, Phosphorescence, is the most beautiful book that I've seen in a very long time. And I've seen a lot of books. It is beautifully produced. It looks and feels gorgeous. And it's beautiful inside and out. Well, thank you, Cheryl. I I feel like they did such a beautiful job with the cover, which is like... It's like this, um, it's almost like a dream underwater sequence where it's got like parts of a reef and growing plants and little flashes of fish and sea creatures and it's got phosphorescence on it, you know, so little luminous creatures that kind of can glow in the dark. And so when you tilt the book to the light, it kind of flashes silver and that makes me very happy. It's so pretty. And the end papers, the end papers, when you open the book, for those of you that don't know what end papers are, um, they really are, they can take a book to another level. And when you, it's that little hardcover, isn't it? And when you open it up, you've got also that artwork just comes into the inside of the book and it's just got the most gorgeous end papers as well, hasn't it? I know. I really, this, I really particularly love the end papers. The one at the mm. back is a beautiful jellyfish, just like a light coloured one that looks like it's glowing. And then it's it's like got a gimbal at the front one and a gimbal for those people who don't know is a it's a jellyfish that's got long pink strands and when you are when you are swimming through the ocean and we had an infestation in our bay a few years ago and people are honestly still bearing the scars of it it's almost like being in an underwater video game you see when you're swimming through and these things just can you hear my dog having that drink? He is so noisy. That's okay. I don't mind hearing a dog. Um, my dog's sitting right here as well, so pets are welcome. Do you know that, do you know, um, that um, Gertrude Stein wrote about how her poodle, the, lapping, the way her poodle lapped water made her think differently about the way sentences and paragraphs could be constructed? What, the rhythm of it? Yeah, but when my dog starts, my, I just can't hear a thing else in the world. He's so noisy. Nonetheless, it's like an underwater video game because you're swimming through going, oh, no, I've got to avoid these pink strands, and they come flying at you like a Star Wars movie. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of pink danger on the front end notes, but, yeah, you're right. It's gorgeous. Tell us what phosphorescence means because I really like it. There's some words I really like, and that's a word I like. I also like luminous, and they're actually quite similar, aren't they? They are very similar actually Mm. so phosphorescence and I do use it interchangeably with bioluminescence in this book but the idea of phosphorescence being something that kind of soaks up light and then re-emits it when the world goes dark like a watch dial that's kind of you know Mm. um phosphorescent and um whereas, whereas fluorescence shoots that that light back out 
and phosphorescence just keeps it gently burning. And I've always loved the idea of natural living light, the light in nature, those creatures under the sea, um, you know, fireflies and ghost mushrooms. And I've just found it to be, you know, just a kind of peculiar kind of enchantment. And also the neon blue waves that many of us have seen in coastlines and the sparkles that, that kind of occur when you swim in them, like like millions of sequins. And I just love it as a phenomenon. And I and that and that I kind of latched onto it as a as a metaphor for how to write about the things that can comfort you or give you strength through really hard times. So when the world goes dark, how do you get through? And that's what it is. It's it's because you know, I I, I think um, when I first saw it, I, I just assumed it was going to be fiction. Um, I don't know why. Um, and you know, um, I only picked it up a couple of weeks ago, and I picked it up when this whole COVID nineteen started, and I was feeling so distracted by everything. I couldn't read. I couldn't. I just couldn't concentrate on anything. And I'm sure that that's happened to a lot of people. Anyway, um, and knowing that, you know, um, I was going to speak with you, I thought, well, I'll pick it up and have a look. Just absolutely certain that it was fiction. I don't know why I had that in my head. Anyway, I called up on the lounge with it one night and I started reading it and there were just like vignettes of just the most beautiful observations and stories and it wasn't fiction at all. And I found it so calming and just what I needed at this time. It it took me out of my world, took me out of the worry that was happening. You're a beautiful writer. You really are. It just makes me so happy to hear you say that, you know, that it takes you out of your world or that it kind of gives you any comfort or any strength because it was very hard to explain to people and to publishers, especially some, you know, some publishers were saying, we just want you to write another biography, just do another biography. Although in Australia, when I explained this to Catherine Milne at HarperCollins, she got it straight away. And I think... You know, when I wrote it, I I really wanted to write about the things that I had drawn on to give me strength when life had got really, really hard. And I had a terrible, you know, cancer diagnosis, had some really savage operations, took me a long while to recover from them. And each time I was learning different lessons and and I I wanted to write about what they were and, and what that meant. And then I kind of dug into the ideas about awe and about nature and how do you find hope in times like that and how do you learn to savor moments and then discover the whole lot of science around each of them and so on. So that was the idea of like if, if you're going through something really tough, this is no universal prescription. I don't know exactly what's going to work for everyone, but these things really, and I found that there's, there's a lot of, you know, faith traditions that are based on a lot of these ideas of calm and stillness and and a lot of science that's emerging in these worlds as well. So that was the idea behind it. But when the whole world has been hit by this kind of global pandemic, the confusion, the fear, the anxiety, the awfulness, I, I, really, I really was more think, you know, thinking this is a book for when your world goes dark. I, you know, but I wasn't thinking so much when, when the whole world goes dark. But as it turns out, they're just, you know, a, a lot of us are, are really struggling right now and there, there is going to be a lot of suffering and it is really hard to come up with platitudes and how do you be happy and because, you know, a lot of us are up against it. Yeah. Well, let me, let me be clear. It's not one of those motivational books, that's for sure. It's um, <laughs> finding, it's finding um, for me, it was finding comfort in, in beauty. 
is, is right. what it was. Yeah. Um, I just want to introduce you um, because uh, there are some people out there that might not know who you are. Uh, Julia began her career in journalism with the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, she was editor of the Opinion Pages. Uh, she was a campaigner also for women in the Sydney Diocese of the Anglican Church. She also worked as a religious commentator for Triple J and as a freelancer for ABC Radio. Her first book, Media Tarts, How the Australian Press Frames Female Politicians, was published in 2004. Again, I think that that book is probably as timely now as it was back then. Right. Uh, don't you think? Um, yes, I really need to get, I've been wanting to revise that for ages ever since, you know, Julia Gillard hit the scene because I, for that, for the research for that book, I looked at, as usual, I over-researched everything, but I went through all of the press clippings of all the women in every Australian parliament in the country between about 1940 or 50 up until, well, really up until the time I did it, about the 2000s, and drew on the whole history of it. We can so easily explain and understand what's going on and what happened with Julia Gillard when you understand how the immense difficulty we've had in this country in trying to reconcile women and power and women exercising authority. So, yes, I will. When any moment clears for me, I am going to reissue. Get that. on to that. I, I've said this before, but I think this country owes Julia Gillard an apology. Anyway, in 2006, uh, Julia became deputy editor at Newsweek in New York City, working there uh, until it ceased its publication in 2012. Uh, she also wrote for the Philadelphia Inquirer, the New York Times. She's written about gender and politics, covering, for example, misogyny in Australian politics, transgender in uh, the American military. And more recently, she's written about Donald Trump's political strategy, um, which (laughs) I think that that's been generous calling it a strategy. Um, Baird has also written um, about religious topics as well. Um, You've also wrote, um, which was your second book in 2016, The Biography of Queen Victoria, and you and I recorded a podcast at the time. Again, a beautifully written comprehensive biography of Queen Victoria. I think you're writing... um, and I think Trent Dalton does this too with fiction. There is, you write nonfiction with empathy. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes I, I wonder what beautiful writing means. Is it beautiful words or is it beautiful descriptions or is it where that writer comes from? And I think that you're, you come from an empathetic background. Anyway, and you gave that to Queen Victoria, of course, in that biography. Um, Julia is also the host of The Drum, a current affairs show on the ABC. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now I want to talk about um, 
uh, phosphorescence. And I want to um, just read this out. So the way we run things at Better Reading, some people, you know, fight over which books they're going to grab and write the review for. So I don't always get get to do that. Um, and there's a, a, a woman that works for us called Jane and she is she just loved this book so immensely. And she wrote this, one might think that Julia and her publisher had a crystal ball and glimpsed into the future with the very timely publication of Phosphorescence. If there is one book you need to read right now, as the world seemingly spins out of control, this is it. And I agree with that. It is so timely. Yeah. Well, as I said before, I mean, that just kind of has blown me away. I think, but, you know, I, I've had a, a lot of people say to me that, you know, that they have found, and I don't, I don't know why, I, I would have to um, have other people say why they kind of found some kind of strength or comfort in the book. And I think maybe because the whole place, the whole thing was written from a, in a moment of extended stillness for me. Mm. Like that, does that ring true to you as a reader? Absolutely. Right. And there's beauty in the stillness, of course. There is. And that stillness can also happen when you're under immense threat. I mean, I described my instincts, especially when I got my diagnosis, really kicked in that I had to be quiet and I had to garner my strength. And your strength can be soaked up by distraction or fear or worry or talking about all the possible worst-case scenarios. Um, And, you know, I described it as more like as a, a flower closing in for the night. Okay, I'm getting ready now. And um, I really liked, I really, I mean, I love Sam Neill and, and like what, the, the, especially the presence he has online and the way he yeah. sees the world with his kind of whimsy and humour and cheer. And when he sang a little song, a Radiohead song the other day and then said. I saw that. Yeah, right. But he said at the end of it, I just want to, you know, stop people. Maybe we don't, yes, we're going to come out of this more tattered, but maybe we don't need to always spiral downwards. Try to spiral upwards. Mm. and try to see that there'll be beauty there and try to see that the sun will shine and that we will still love each other and I think that's really I think that's really comforting so come in the in the middle of madness um can really give people a lot of strength and I think a big thing for me in the book was there's a lot of things we think come serendipitously beauty like the sun is setting right now um I can see it outside. I can hear the cockatoo screeching. We think, you know, friendships are really good. You think, um, you know, it's really good to wonder at what a beautiful flower or what an incredible storm or those kinds of things. But I really learned to live deliberately and really pursue those things and build it into my day. I really make sure I get out and um, just into whichever part of the natural world I can every day. I read something um, recently, and and this is probably known to a lot of people, but uh, I only kind of registered with me recently, that people said that one of the reasons, well, one one of the many uh, kind of um, uh, reasons why people get depressed, for instance, is because they can't visualise their future. Yeah, and um, and you know, because and, and I've been lucky enough not to suffer depression. Um, yeah. Haven't you know? But that phrase just sat with me, you know. Um, and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. But then I live my life drawing on happiness of the day. I, I don't try yeah. not to go long term because you know um, it's really about what I'm doing in the moment. And I try 
I've been trying to do this for years is, you know, enjoy the kookaburra that I see out in the park and enjoy, you know, seeing people out, kids playing and be happy and whatever and living for the moment. And I think now if it's more urgent, I think, to be thinking that way. And I guess with a diagnosis of cancer, that becomes more urgent to be thinking that way. Yeah, I think I think you're really lucky that that that's kind of your that's the way that you are built. But I think the rest of us can also train ourselves to be like that too. My 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 kid is my my little boy is really like that. He ever since he was you know two, yeah. he could start to talk. He would say he would make all the adults at the table sit around say you go ask them what their favorite part of the day was. He go what your favorite part day, and yeah. then you'd all have to say it. And then his would always be, no matter what we did, we could spend the day on water slides or have such great adventures or do whatever. He would always say, I'm really loving this dinner with all of you right now. Oh, wow. Love it. He just amazes me in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is about the moment. And I think more than ever now and what we're going through now as I was going to say as a nation, but it's not as, 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 yeah, uh, globally is, this is the time that we need to take stock. You know, it has reminded me too of the diary of Anne Frank. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, you, you, there has been, you know, some comparisons with wartime. But either way, if you look at that book, it's about really about learning to live with what you've got. That's right. And, yeah. And this book, I tell you what, if, if I locked up anywhere in lockup, I'd, it, it, there's a couple of books I would take and certainly phosphorescence would be one of them. <laughs> so let me tell you that right now. You know, I was thinking about that. I mean, but, but thinking about the, some of the stuff that Anne, Anne Frank said as well, I mean, it was about, the, it, was, it was not just about what she had, it was about the triumph of her spirit in it all. Mm. She said, you know, things about how she keeps her ideals, remember, because in mm. spite of everything, she still believes that people are really good at heart. And things like she also said that it's really wonderful that people do not wait need to wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. And this one, think of all the beauty still left around you and be happy. I mean, what a what a great kid, you know. And that's the kind of person you want in your life as well. Like she's a, she's a remarkable kid. I was also reminded because I said to my daughter, "Okay, now's the time to keep a diary," and she just yeah. went, "Nope." I was like. All right. Okay. Yeah. But she does vlog. She just rebels against me by refusing to do anything history related. Like that's her. Yeah. At, at, at certain age, you don't want to be like your mother. It takes a while. <laughs> read history, mom. That's deeply uncool. That's right. Absolutely. How old is she? 13. 13. Yeah. No, I yeah. see that. Okay. Yeah. I want to talk. I want to talk about coronavirus and I want to talk about COVID because we're in it now. Yeah. Um, and what do you think as as people, as humans, we will come out of this as better people? I think that we're going to be forced to rethink things in a way that we have not for generations. We're going to have to rethink um, entirely new understandings about our own resilience and what we need. And probably we need a lot less than we, we, we think we normally do. Yeah. Um, how important the small things are, how vulnerable we all are and how, it, how crucial it is to work together around the world. Like how when it comes down to we're such a divided, polarised, you know, world right now and people live in silos and attack other people with various labels, it's such a phenomenal waste of time. Like you're not going to refuse 
to help some an elderly na- neighbour who lives down the street because she's voted a way that you don't like. We, yeah. we're, we're all in this. We're all human um, and we all want to survive. And, you know, and I also hope that we realise, as Nick Cave has pointed out, because he's thought a lot about suffering since the death of his son, um, when he fell off a cliff in this awful, awful accident. And he said, really, the purpose of life is to actively reduce one another's suffering. And I think if we spend time being still and looking outwards and trying to do just that, surely we'll be better off for it. And if not, if not entirely, we'll at least summons the, you know, the, the strength to to get through the, the, the times ahead because we're going to need all the strength we can. And that was a big thing for me with this book. It's not about, well, if you, as you were saying earlier, like if you have, if you, you know, if you're having a rough day, just go and lie under a tree. Sure. You've been sacked, but you know, look at the stars. I do not mean that at all. I no. mean almost the flip side. If those things are happening, you're going to need all the strength that you have. And as a species, we need all the strength we have. We've got some monumental challenges ahead of us. So work out what makes you strong and you'd be amazed how small and local and completely free of charge those things are. Do you know, I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of local, but do you know what I also think? I I think it's a great equaliser. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I saw Madonna in her bathtub saying like the best thing about coronavirus is that it doesn't discriminate, but that's also the worst thing. And I was like, I was so confused by that. I'm like, well, how is it supposed to discriminate? Although, and to be honest, it's not entirely true in the sense that people who are, who are disadvantaged, people who are at risk and vulnerable are, are, are much more, to repeat the word, much more vulnerable right now. You know, in Indigenous communities, people with disabilities, the elderly, the alone, women, you know, experiencing domestic violence. So yeah. it equalises people who, you know, are the same people. But I think it very quickly has exposed some of the grave disadvantages in our society. And that's what I really hope that we spend, you know, time thinking about and trying to sort out. Mm. Yeah. I want to go back to your book. Um, because again, it's just so beautifully, beautifully written. I don't know how many times I've said this on this podcast, but there you go. It has to be said. I'm going to read this. This is the beauty of this profound book. It transports you into all the deep inner yearnings you've had for a long time. And then it articulates them for you. I do crave nature. I do crave silence. In the honour of temporary, Julia reminds us of how transitory everything is. Everything passes in these trying times. This alone is the most important thing that we can remember. I mean, it's like you wrote that now. Yeah, that's, I don't, yes, but I did not. But, but you know, like, like when I was writing it and thinking about it, it there were so many ancient paths. So I mean, humanity has survived you know, immense you know, world wars and um, extraordinary and brutal times in our history. Um, and I think part of it is to remember that you can always, that we, we, we can prevail. Um, and I, I really took comfort from Jim Stockdale, who was a, an American pilot who was shot down in the Vietnam War and he was tortured in the Hanoi they used to call it the Hanoi Hilton. Like he and several others were severely tortured and were tried to be used as propaganda purposes and so on. And he came back and has explained that what got him through, and he was a fan of Stoics. There's my dog again. 
But what got him through, uh, and it's now called the Stockdale Paradox, is a confidence that or a sense that he would be able to prevail but a really kind of um, without being in denial about his present circumstance. And he said, he said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. And I found that so reassuring, like just for me, like being ill, like, okay, I know exactly what I'm dealing with right now. And yes, I could spiral up, as Sam Neill says, or I could spiral down, or I could hold on to the fact that I yet might be able to prevail through this. I have to hold on to that belief. And he said, um, Stockdale said that, you know, prisoners who were like just like really stubborn optimists who would be like, no, we're going to get out in Easter. No, we're not. We'll get out at Christmas. No, Easter, no Christmas. And it didn't happen. They would die of heartbreak. And so it's a sense, it's kind of almost like a gritty, it's a, it's a realistic optimism. It's, um, and uh, I think it, that does kind of really apply today. But just quickly, when I talk about ancient truth as well, like there are very many times through this book when I would potter around through, you know, oceans and, and think about, you know, mountains and my time exploring the world and then dig into the science about it all. And then I would go, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> First Nations people have been telling us this for century mm. about how important it is to be quiet and listen and um, listen to country. Mm. Referring to the way that I live my life, um, I don't know, it must have been 15, 20 years ago and I was going through something really difficult. Um, yeah. It wasn't an illness but I'd lost my job and I felt that I, you know, I'd, that whole sense of who am I and where am I going. Yeah. And I was listening to the radio and I never quite caught his name but it was an Indigenous elder on the ABC and he was talking about the, the problem with, with white people, he said, was that we live for the future. So I'm going to be, if it's Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to be happy on Friday when work finishes because then I've got the weekend coming up or, you know, I can't wait till I take my holidays or I can't wait till I do this or do that, whatever. And he said that the way that he thinks about life is he finds happiness in the moment. So when he wakes up in the morning, it's the happiness and the joy comes from that from the interaction that you have that day, not just with people but with nature and with whatever it is around you. And for me that was a light bulb moment. That was it. It made complete sense to me and I changed my entire thinking to that and I still live by that. Yeah, well, that's how you, what you were describing at the beginning. Yeah. That chat. That's yeah. You. It is, uh-huh. it is. But, I mean, it, and, and that comes from an ancient thinking because, like, if you look at people in the past, they didn't acquire an apartment. They didn't have the best lounge. They didn't have the, you know, that wasn't what it was about, was it? Yeah, and, and there is also, I mean, I wrote a bit about savouring, the sense of, um, of really enjoying and relishing the moment. It's kind of, um, it's not just about being in the moment. It's about anticipating something and kind of just, loving it, thinking about it afterwards. And there, there, is, there are some studies that are being done around savouring. And, and one of the conclusions is it's really important sometimes to just have your expectations be lower. You know what I want? I want a good cup of tea today. I want to have some chat. Yes. And, and that's it. That's my baseline. Yes. If anything happens beyond that, fantastic. And that's why the Danes register as being consistently in those world kind of happiness index that and even the headlines in Danish newspapers go, we're the happiest, well, for now anyway. 
you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And there, I think there's really something in that, which isn't to say that you don't expect much, but you're really happy with, with what you've got. Yeah. Well, do you know, I'm thinking about self-isolation. So, of course, I've been, you know, self-isolating like I've been meant to be doing. Although when I tell people that, they always say, oh, is everything okay? And I'm like, well, actually, aren't we all meant to be doing it? But anyway, the first couple of days... <laughs> the days were a struggle. I really, yeah. I didn't realise um, how much I went out and how much I ate out and how much I, you know, I swam every day and I went to Pilates and I did that. And all of a sudden, my world became really, really small. And the first couple of days, I really was struggling with it. Um, but now, um, I'm going to be one of those people that I don't know if I'll adjust to the new world because I've got myself into a routine of the small you know, of enjoying the small things of, you know, making myself a nice dinner and sitting down and enjoying that on my own and, you know, things that I would never, ever have done before. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. And well, I was, I was talking to Annabelle Crabb the other night and she pulled out a line in my book where I wrote about the soothing power of the ordinary. Yes. And I think it sounds like you're a person like that. I think she really is a person like that too. You can see from the way she lives or the things she puts on Instagram, she loves a pebble that she's seen or a little cupcake that she's made or yeah. a piece of art on the wall. And it's being able to look around you and really appreciate that just yeah. can change your life. It really can. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm into day 15 or 16. I think I started a week of, earlier than everybody else. But anyway, that's where I am. And really now I all the little things matter. And, um, you know, I think about what I'm going to do the next day Um and then once I do it, I think mm, that was as lovely as, and as enjoyable as I anticipated it to be. And just getting, <laughs> and that could be something like, you know, just taking the dog to the park. Right. Um, my expectations have changed quite dramatically. It's not like, you know, going to a fancy restaurant anymore. But if you're more conscious of, well, firstly, that's really infectious on people around you. Like that really rubs off on people, I think. And secondly, if you're more conscious of it, then you're going to live deliberately. You're going to be doing that and building it into your day. Yeah. And um, if you're conscious about how those small things, what, what they can actually mean to you psychologically. Yeah. Do you think that you've had that experience? Like with your treatment, I guess in a way you were locked up, weren't you, for a time? Yes, yes. So you've, you've probably come into this with a, you know, more experienced, if you like, than say me or other people. Is that right? Totally. No, like for me, it's like I've, I was locked up for ages, but feeling like absolutely thunderously disgusting mm -hmm. um, and in pain. If you're inside and you're feeling okay, like to me, like, like, you know, I relate to those people who are like, well, you know, this is the first time in history we've been asked to stay, you know, save the planet by staying home watching TV. It's mm. awesome it on that awesome. level. Like, you know, and again, <laughs> you know, while being conscious of the fact, it's really not awesome for a whole lot of people, but, there, you know, there can be, there can be a, a joy in it. And you know what? We're not polluting the planet as much and we're hopefully learning how to be still and we're hanging out with our kids. And you can only hope that, you know, good will come from that. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to finish on this note. I'm going to read some beautiful words that Jane has written about the book because they're just beautiful. Absorbing, achingly beautiful, inspiring and deeply moving. Julia has written exactly the book we need for these times. Her writing is utterly sublime, polished and poetic. The book is delivered in chapters such as Lessons from a Cuttlefish, She Trashed Her Golden Locks and Growing by the Light of the Moon. 
Julia Baird, congratulations and thank you so much for speaking with me tonight. It's such a great pleasure to chat with you, Cheryl. I love your approach to life. I thank love it. you. <laughs> thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.